This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, did you know that Vin Diesel only has two meals a day? Hmm. Yeah, he has Break Fast and Break Furious. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's yeah, pretty, I feel what like I like, could have delivered better. What I like about it is that Vin Diesel might be the most unlikely Hollywood billionaire. You know what I mean? Like, oh, is he a Hollywood billionaire? Did he do it? I He's up there. I don't know. He's a wealthy man. You know, uh-huh. you, you look at a Ryan Reynolds, you look at a Meryl Streep, you look at a, uh, even a Tom Cruise, and you think to yourself, I get it, you know? Yeah. You look at a Vin Diesel and you think, well, good for you. Yeah, I don't really think I really don't really think he can easily as earn as much as fifty million dollars per year, depending on his film output. That's not really my first thought, but that is what CelebrityNetWorth.com says. Oh, and they're very trustworthy. I've read. I've, thanks to them, I know your net worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Wow, uh, it's it's impressive. I I actually <laughs> I actually I hope you don't mind. I emailed them. <laughs> can you do that? Can you be uh, like, hey, here's my bank yeah. account. <laughs> I'm sure you can. I mean, all the people on the Forbes list do that. They asked, the, really? like, one year I was on the Forbes, like, best paid authors list, which uh-huh. I I was like, I, I politely asked to be excluded from this conversation. Yeah. And they were like, no, because we're pretty sure you've made this much money. You made $3 million from Vlogbrothers. You made $4 million from right. the movie. And then you made $11 million selling books. And I was like, well, all those numbers are, are wrong. Signific- in, in the case of Vlogbrothers, 
wrong by $3 million. Um, so that's how, they, that's how they get the data is they, they say, we're going to publish inaccurate information yes. unless you yes. send us accurate information. Unless you oh, send us times. accurate information. And then I was like, well, I don't want to send you accurate information because that's weird. It feels private yeah. to me. Uh-huh. And so they publish an article where he's, they said he makes $3 million a year from Vlogbrothers, $4 million a wow. year from movies, and $11 million a, a year. year from selling books. A year! Oh, man. <laughs> I uh, So if uh, I just want to hang a lantern. I've not finished soundproofing my new studio yet. So if it sounds a little more echoey than usual, that's why. But if it doesn't sound more echoey than usual, please let me know so that I can because stop I don't soundproofing, soundproofing my <laughs> studio. <laughs> I love that uh, you are in a, in a soundproof studio and I'm just in my basement. Like well, I'm watching yeah, Everton play soundproof. Crystal Palace right now. It's just a big empty room with a lot of ceiling and uh, no, I get and it, wall. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I need to put some more baffles up, etc. Also, I, hey, this I think is usually the part of the podcast where we talk about like how we're feeling and how we're doing and stuff. And I think we should skip that today. I think we should go yeah, straight to I the questions talk from about, our listeners. I was going to talk about Vin Diesel and how he's also one of the least likely Hollywood billionaires to only have two meals a day. Like, there's no way that's the case. <laughs> two big meals, man. It doesn't matter how often you do it. It matters it's how the, much you yeah. do it. It's how much. Yes, exactly. John, uh, so now that we've got Vin Diesel out of the way, mm-hmm. I haven't looked at these questions at all. I'll be honest with you. Do you have any suggestions We're going for us? through a little bit of a weird time, y'all, to be <laughs> just in the interest of full disclosure. Um, do I have any what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Questions that you like? Oh, no. Oh, no, Hank, I haven't looked at the questions. I, oh, uh, I've had a very, I've had maybe the busiest morning of my life. <laughs> and we appreciate you for it. I'll tell you what, though, I did get back from Sierra Leone. I don't think I've talked yeah. to you since I got back from Sierra Leone. So let me talk about that for just a moment if I can. Yeah. Uh, Sarah and I went to Sierra Leone to see the progress with the Maternal Center of Excellence, this hospital, this maternal and child hospital that's being built, funded primarily by Nerdfighteria from people who subscribe to the Awesome Coffee Club, the Awesome Socks Club. We've got a new thing, Sun Basin Soap, which, yeah. I mean, Hank, Hank, Hank. Yeah, people want uh, soap. It's good soap. People it's bought not soap. It's not just that it's good soap. Like, it's the best soap I've ever used. Like, and I'm, oh, I'm a yay. fancy soap person. It, it is like it a is game really changer nice. soap. What's, I, your, what's your flavor of choice? Do you have a favorite? Well, okay. So I like Forrester, but I have an issue Forager. with for, Forager. Forager, but I have an issue with Forager that I've been meaning to bring up to you, okay. which is that it's not great for the bath. Oh, interesting. Because of the, uh, the, I'm the not ex- a bath the, person. The exfoliants, uh-huh. um, while they are natural- and totally biodegradable and lovely, um, they stick to the bathtub a little bit more oh, than okay. I would like. And they mm-hmm. don't, na- yeah. So that that that's my only issue with Forager. It's great in the shower. It's become our number yeah. one go-to sh- shower soap. So I mostly use the charcoal one, which is amazing. Nice. It's great. I'm so, this soap thing is just, it's amazing. I think it has the potential to be a game changer because it is genuinely the best soap I've ever used and all the profits go to charity. But anyway, what I was gonna say is that thanks to all of that, plus the thousands of people who donate monthly at pih.org slash Hank and John, the Maternal Center of Excellence is happening. Uh, you can watch a video on the, on the Vlogbrothers YouTube channel about it, but the foundations are being poured, walls are starting to go up, the rough plumbing and electricity and, and uh, internet stuff is in and oh my gosh it's so exciting it's huge it is a 48,000 square foot complex that will finally 
finally bring the kind of dignified, world-class health care that every delivering mother and newborn baby deserves. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's really amazing. Um, you being you being over there um, and texting me the whole time uh, was very moving, and I really wished I was there with you. And it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing what uh, can be done when people work together really hard. And it is amazing how hard our community has been working to make this happen. And it's really yeah. wonderful to see it already having impacts. Yeah. That's it. It is amazing to see what people can do when they come together. Um, and in this case, when they come together across every continent, across all kinds of different backgrounds, across all kinds of cultural, social barriers to uh, express real, meaningful solidarity uh, with the people of Kono, and then to see the way that the community has embraced the hospital, with 65% of the construction workers being women from Kono, with the whole community being excited every time there's a meeting to discuss uh, the progress. All they want to hear is, can it go faster? Um, I talked to so many people who were really excited, um, and one one woman, especially who's a welder on the site, uh, told me, you know, one day we will give birth here and we will yeah. bring our children here. And so this place matters to us so much. We want to make sure that it's built right and that it's built for generations. And it was just awesome. A very special trip, something I'll, I'll treasure as, in my memory as long as I've got memories. John, yeah. do you want to answer a question from Hope? Sure. It is my favorite of the major emotions. Hope asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm 23 and lucky to be comfortable in my life. I've got a good job and a great husband, but this comfort means I don't know what I'm working towards anymore. How do I find meaning in life when I'm not constantly aiming for a milestone or goal? Perching in your soul, hope. Whoa, that's (laughs) lovely. Um, That's great. Isn't that a nice situation to be in? Um, And isn't it the really the situation that we are all in no no matter what? I mean, I I guess there's sort of like a... uh, you know, it's not the situation it, all of us are in all the time, but there are certainly a certain. lot of times in, in, a, in a life when you may find yourself in that position and it's a nice place to be, but your problems are still problems. Yeah, you're probably, but, but also I think that regardless of the problem landscape, there is always some amount of why am I here? What is this for? What am I doing? And how do I figure that out? Right. And that, I mean, that's the question. It's a big human question, which I guess maybe we... I feel like we've all we've always been asking it in one way or another, but we've we you know have codified that question in a lot of ways, uh, and and I feel like sometimes just call it philosophy, um, and I don't know. Uh, I think it's a tricky one. Yeah, I mean, I have an opinion on it. You know, yeah. I think we're I think we're here to to pay attention and to be together and to accompany each other through the trials and travails and joys of consciousness. I think we're here to make each other unalone and to, uh, and to be, to observe, to pay attention. And for some people, that means like figuring out what keeps the stars apart. And for some people like me, it means um, trying to write about different human responses to trauma and why they're different. So that, is a less important job <laughs> than the astronomers well, have. They're both, but it's I think my, they're both very important. Yeah. But it's my job right now. Yeah. And so I think, I, I think there's two things here. One is if you don't feel like you have a, have, have a job, 
you know, like you get a dog and the dog wants to work. The dog needs to have a sense of meaning in its life. Maybe the sense of meaning in the dog's life is that uh, it is the companion to a very lovely child. And maybe the sense of the dog's meaning is that it is it is the squirrel chaser who ensures that the yard is free of squirrels. I think that we need to do that stuff, you know? And so maybe mm-hmm. it's about like, y- you don't feel like you're doing enough of that stuff. Uh, and so I would encourage you to explore doing doing a little bit of it, whether that's like, and sometimes it's as simple as breaking out of your routine. Like instead of going to the place you usually go with your husband in the evening, you go somewhere else and you're like, oh my God, those are stars. They are far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the big things that we're here to do, or, or we're here to do, that, mm. that we mm-hmm. do is, mm-hmm. <laughs> is, mm-hmm. is appreciate. What's that? We're, we're appreciators. Hank uh, is on a journey, on a journey of, <laughs> of meaning. He's on That's a journey of meaning. Show. And <laughs> um, yeah, so, so he's on a journey of meaning. And he just said for the first time, mm, we are here too, which yeah. implies we're, <laughs> that are we are trying? here to something. Yeah, I think that it, and, and I think that there's also like um, what you are feeling is mm-hmm. the desire to try and find a good way to live a life which is a thing mm-hmm. that you get to do um yeah and that's uh there's lots of people who think lots of ways about that um and there are going to be some ideas that resonate more and less with you but i i would suggest you know looking out for the kinds of people who talk about that and um and also i think that we are here to help so here to help here to accompany accompanying yeah. for me is like is, is is like help, but it's specific. <laughs> it's like it's like help, but also tells you how to help. Yeah. Which is not by like saying I'm here for you, but by like enacting I'm here with you. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you feel a growing or deeper connection to the great body of human souls who came before you, the hundred million people who aren't here now, but made here and now possible? Um, I mostly think about that not in terms of humans, but in terms, not like I don't really draw, like the, the big like uh, thing that is crested over me a lot lately is that, um, is that the, the species lines are not clear. Yeah. And okay. the individual lines are not entirely clear once you get to the, like a cellular yep. level of things. Agreed. So I definitely feel a like sort of remarkable um space uh occupying one one piece of the, you know, 4 billion year history of life on earth, which is very long. Like Sometimes you get in in like the cosmos stories or, you know, looking up at the galaxies, you you get the sort of insignificance story, which is certainly there. In terms of physical space, uh, it's very hard to imagine us as as significant. But in terms of amount of the universe, in terms of temporal space, uh, life has existed on Earth for a very substantial percentage of the lifetime of the universe. Right. And uh, and and there's every indication as we continue to look that um, it 
it could have happened earlier, but it couldn't have happened way earlier mm-hmm. because you need some stuff to happen in order for the ingredients necessary to exist. Right. Um, and, uh, and also like maybe it takes this long for this to happen. Maybe it takes 4 yeah. billion years of uninterrupted life right. for the, you know, the first, um, yeah. the first person to the, the first like instance of the knowledge that you are on a planet or that stars exist right. or that galaxies exist yeah. or, you know, the first for the first chair to exist, you know? Yeah. Maybe the reason we haven't seen a lot of aliens is not because there won't be a lot, but because we're actually pretty early. Yeah. It's yeah so that's, I, I definitely feel. But um, do you feel a deep connection, a growing connection that you didn't feel maybe three years ago to that great endless ball of life that stretches back four billion years, which is millions of times longer than humans have been here. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel, when you think about it, do you feel awe? Yeah. Do you feel an almost, um, if I can use some Latin, do you feel something akin to a mysterium tremendum, a feeling that there is this tremendous mystery that is both enchanting and awe-inspiring and wondrous, but also like a little terrifying in its largeness. It's probably the same feeling. Yeah. But I would probably call it something else. And, and also like, I don't really call feel it, it a, unless I look for it. You'd call it um, a non-mysterium tremendum. Yeah. I mean, one of the great things about now is that so much of, so much of that stuff is still mysterious, mm-hmm. but um, known to be knowable. You know, like the, mm-hmm. there are it, like there is truth there, even if we cannot uncover all of it. You know, there is truth like the the big. I, I would like, argue that 95 percent of matter in the universe is probably known to be unknowable. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, that, oh, yeah. that's the, that's the thing about that's the thing about dark matter and dark energy is that like we don't know what they are. Yeah. And and we now we don't know if we can know them. Yeah. But we certainly don't think we're certainly not acting as if we can't know them. We are like the institution of science is actively trying to figure out what those things are. And there are many people who have okay. ideas about what they are. Okay. Um, and, and I've actually asked this question to a lot of astrophysicists. Do you think that we will someday know why the universe exists? And most of them do say no. They mostly say, no, I, I don't think it's possible to know yeah. why the universe started existing because yeah. ultimately that is outside of observation. Like you can't right. observe it because it happened before observable things. Mysterium it, uh, tremendum, man. The ultimate but, but mysterium tremendum. I think they're wrong. Oh. Because oh, Hank is coming in hard against the astrophysicist. Noted anti-intellectual Hank Green <laughs> announces opposition to astrophysics as part of his journey to meaning. I, <laughs> I think that if you, I think that if you look, um, there are there are many times when that would have seemed to be the case. You know, the mm-hmm. idea that we would have known how the Earth was created, mm-hmm. you know, n- not mm-hmm. very long ago, is just like mm-hmm. people would say. Of course, you can't figure out how the Earth was created, but now we know how the Earth was created. Um, yeah, you know, we we can watch as, as other planets are created. We can see it happen in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, like, it's not going to be, it's not going to, probably not going to be a light thing. We're not gonna be able to see it with light, which is how astrophysicists and astronomers mostly see 
like mostly understand the universe is that they look at various kinds of radiation. So it's not going to be a radiation thing. Yeah. But it might be a math thing. It might like there, there there's other ways to interrogate the universe. And so um, I think that like in some universe, I feel like humans will exist long enough to figure it out. But I don't know if it's this one, you know. So I th- I'll just I, say it. I think that you're religious. <laughs> Is that faith to you that I think that humans can figure it out? Yeah. No, it's not faith in the traditional sense. That's why I didn't say I think you're a man of faith. I think you're religious. It's a very specific, different thing. I think if you I think if you like spent an afternoon in a church, you would be like, well, that was interesting. Oh, for sure. I I mean I find that I find it all I find it all very interesting. What um, if this whole uh-huh. thing I'm just spitballing here, Hank. What if this whole thing ends with you? as a chaplain at a children's hospital. <laughs> John's trying to make up stories. He wants things and to be he wants things to be a good a good story. I, I love a symmetry. Uh-huh. You are a chaplain at a children's hospital pursuing your MDiv degree, uh-huh. having had not really a blinding light spiritual awakening, but like a blinding light scientific awakening that was akin enough to a spiritual awakening that we can no longer really separate them. And I I'd be a really weird in a tomato lab establishing, doing tests on the tomatoes to make sure that they don't have any uh, weird diseases. Yeah, which is what I I was doing at that time. (laughs) What if that's how it all ends? Maybe that's our retirement plan. Like in Hank can't retire, but maybe he can become a chaplain. (laughs) I can't retire, but maybe I can become a tomato slide enthusiast. (laughs) (laughs) Doing quality control on fungicides. Doing quality control on fungicides. Now, that yeah. sounds important. I don't know what any of those words mean, but it sounds critical. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely <sighs> important. Got another question. It's from Devin and Joyce. They say, dear John and Hank, given that there are 96 million pounds of mosquitoes in the world, how big would all of them be if you put them together? Like in one giant blob, how many Olympic-sized swimming pools would they fit? Thank you for your time, Devin and Joyce. Devin and Joyce, you've made a, a classic miscalculation. Do you agree, Hank? I think that there are a number of, of different variables we need to consider. Continue. I think that if you work hard enough, Devin and Joyce, and if you believe in yourself, and if you have the right tools, you can get that ball of 96 million pounds of mosquitoes into an infinitely dense state <laughs> that forms a single true. particle of unfathomably dense matter that then explodes into a new universe of mosquitoes. That's what I think. You know, that is one of the guesses. <laughs> I just did an actual spit take. <laughs> I went to have a sip of LaCroix. <laughs> and I... <laughs> All the astrophysicists say we can't figure out how the universe started, but over on Dear Hank and John, somebody just did. Uh, <laughs> and it was John. Physicists. <laughs> yeah, there's... I mean, it's 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 pure guess. The The idea being that I mean, if you if you want Mysterium Tremendum, the real place to look for it is is the constants. Um, there are yeah. a number of of constants that seem to be constant across the whole universe. That if they weren't 
uh, matter would just fly apart and not do all the stuff that matter does, like stick into stars and uh, it, it might not even exist or, or atoms couldn't exist. Um, they would just be like, there would be protons and neutrons and electrons and quarks and stuff, but they wouldn't be sticking together. And um, and, and the, the idea is that like all this stuff seems very precisely tuned for something and physicists- uh, Wait, what do you mean? Uh, I know this is good. This is this is like where it gets it a little seems bit like precisely tuned. Yeah. So, bro, you are on a journey of. I meaning. know this. So, like, they don't. We nobody likes to talk about this in like the SciComm community because it's very easy to get very sort of woo woo about it. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> um, the numbers seem to be. It seems hard not to get woo woo about yeah, it based on the, what you just said. The numbers seem to be uh, the the way that they should be if you want an, a universe. Uh, that has certain things in it. And that's not like um, humans or life. Um, so th- th- the existence of humans and life seems to be potentially a, you know, inevitable consequence of the th- everything being set up a certain way that like sometimes you can get these sort of st- stable, far from equilibrium things far from chemical equilibrium things that is like life. And there's no reason why that couldn't exist in a universe like ours. Um, but the thing that it does seem to be well set up for is to create stars and black holes. Um, oh. And, uh, oh, and oh, so, oh. so that makes them, that makes some people who are a little bit on the edge of the astrophysics community, a little more woo-woo, say, what if there's some sort of like multiverse situation where lots of different like multiverse like universes are set up, but then the ones that there's sort of like an evolution of universes with a natural selective pressure toward universes that can create more black holes. And uh, because and that would be because if you create a black hole, then you create a universe at the same time. What? <sighs> I don't want, I'm out. That sounds, I'll tell you, I got to get Katie Mac on the phone. Check that one <laughs> yeah, out. Katie Mack is, exa- is going to be the exact person who would be like, Hank should not be talking right now. Um, yeah, I yeah. kind of agree, actually. <laughs> it's, it, it is one of those fun science uh, conversations that's more a fun science. Con- but there's no like way to, to do tests on things like this or confirm them. But, yeah. um, but that's why I said that and you did a spit take about it. Because that, that is one of the guesses, and it's pure guess. It's not a hypothesis or anything. But yeah, so the mosquito black hole would be infinitely small. So that's a great point, John, uh, that you could take 96 million pounds of mosquitoes and make them um, into a singularity. But if you wanted to leave them the at standard temperature and pressure of the Earth... Which uh, I don't... <laughs> yeah, which is understandable. They are, uh, you know, at least certain species... Very bad for humans. Deboki has done a lot of work. All right, give <laughs> to it to try me. and figure out how big a mosquito is. So this is the tricky part: is figuring out how big a single mosquito is because they're they're different sizes. Different sizes, um, yeah. So and, and also the different sizes at different times. Like if they've just fed, they're bigger than if they haven't been fed. But um, she has come to a broad conclusion of around two point seven microliters because that's close enough, basically. And given that. Um, the total, if you had a, at peak mosquito season, uh, you could got all those mosquitoes together, it would be about 110 million liters, which is not that much. It's uh, 44 Olympic-sized swimming pools full of mosquitoes. 
<laughs> you just had a great idea for a horror movie. <laughs> it's called 44 Olympic Size Swimming Pools of Mosquitoes. It's so concise, right? Like it's, it's, you know, just what it is. Yeah. Like Sharknado. It's like Sharknado. Yeah. It's not, it's not as short as Sharknado. I think you could just call it 44. I think you do have to say Olympic sized swimming pools. I think you can say 44 Olympic sized swimming pools of mosquitoes. Yeah. Scientists were so, so busy wondering whether they could, that they couldn't figure out that they, they didn't ask whether they should. <laughs> it's a great tagline. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you do it? I don't know. We were wondering if we could. We ended we ended malaria. <laughs> but it must have been really it must have been really hard though. Yeah, it was a lot of work. <laughs> we ended malaria except for the tributes. <laughs> and then the movies about the tributes. Of course it is. Yeah. Every couple years we need to send people down sure. into those swimming pools to find mm-hmm. out if those mosquitoes are still making the malaria. Yeah. And who's, who should be chosen but an uncommonly attractive, heterosexual couple who aren't a couple yet? Sure. How oh, are they ever going to survive swimming through 44 Olympic-sized swimming pools of mosquitoes? Uh, yeah. Only yeah. time will tell. So now, now we've moved out of Jurassic Park and we're doing the Hunger Games. Uh, I was thinking more like Speed. You know, that Keanu Reeves, yeah. uh, Sandra Bullock film? You know, yeah, yeah, where yeah. they're brought together by trauma, but they know they're brought together by trauma. And mm-hmm. so they're like, is this really going to last? They're like, we're going to make it last. And then in the yeah. 44th swimming pool, one of them has to make a major sacrifice for the other, a loss of something, eyeglasses, a finger. I don't know. And uh, that's when they realize like it was all worth it. And then they, <laughs> they then you, you flash forward and. Uh, it's five years later and they're swelling from the mosquito bites is finally down and they've got a nice little house in the suburbs and a two-year-old and uh, you're just seeing a nice, pleasant breakfast scene. And then what's over there in the corner? Oh, it's the finger. It's the finger oh, that I reminds them be, of their I thought, love. I thought it was going to be one last mosquito. No. That's, that's the horror movie ending. That's not the speed ending. That's the smile ending, Hank. No. <laughs> Uh, oh, God, I shouldn't have said any of that because we're on strike and I should not be giving out ideas to Hollywood <laughs> like that. <laughs> this next question comes from Gabor, who asks, if Neanderthals were still around today, would we be able to communicate with them either verbally or by some other means? Not Jean Jean Gabor, just Gabor. Um, by some active- other memes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can communicate with anything with memes. Yeah. Even a, even a seven-year-old. I mean, it's like their their primary way. I've heard. Could days. could Neanderthals hang out with us? I mean, like, well, of course yeah. we don't know um, because because we can't we don't have them to to ask. But no, the, we uh, we dealt with that problem. There there is a lot of uh, actual active research going on to try and figure this out. So they uh, have have done um, some work with the ears to see what frequencies the species can hear best in, which is interesting. Um, And they've studied the uh, range of frequencies that ears are most sensitive to. Mm. Uh, And they they have found that both Neanderthals and humans uh, have that overlap where Neanderthals could definitely hear in the range of human speech. That's not a surprise. Obviously, like dogs can too, because they can hear us talking. Um, but but they seem to be uh, quite capable of hearing humans and 
uh, but and and possibly even more capable of hearing human speech compared to other human ancestors. Whoa! Um, and so it it seems like it wouldn't be surprising if Neanderthals talked, and if they did, then it wouldn't be surprising if we could figure out some way of talking to each other. Now, it is really hard to speak to people who speak different languages. It's hard to learn different languages, and that's probably going to be even harder. You know, it's, it is definitely harder if those languages don't share any roots, um, you know, if they didn't sort of come from the same place. And obviously yeah. there there are forms of language on Earth right now that we cannot decipher. Um, we and, and it may be that they just don't contain a lot of information or it may be a problem of just how how differently the information is encoded. Are we um, talking about like dolphins? Talking about dolphins and dolphin-like yep. stuff. Sure. Um but my guess, I, if, if if I'm just going to like confidently state things and about And that's science, what you're doing. That's what you've been doing the whole time. That's this episode of Dear Hang and John. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think we could talk. I mean, I'll tell you what. We could certainly scootily poop. Yeah, which talking is not, has been proven over and over again, that you don't have to speak the same language to, to, to make a baby. But you don't, but it helps. I think. Yeah. yeah. I think. I I agree with you based on my also unscientific opinion. There is a great YouTube channel about prehistory and non-homo uh, sapiens hominids called, uh, it, the person who makes it is called Stefan Milo. It's one of my favorite YouTube channels. It's like 45 minute documentaries that are like, how do we know what kind of tools Homo erectus used? And then you're like, wow, we, these people are amazing. Humans are amazing. We can figure out so much. Wow. Uh-huh. So I would recommend watching that instead of listening to Hank and I hypothesize. Absolutely. Which reminds me, though, that today's podcast is, in fact, brought to you by Hank's Hypotheses. <laughs> Hank's Hypotheses. Um, there is a God. Uh, that's definitely Who made not, the universe. What, no, wow. And who taught Neanderthals to talk. Yep, that's right. That's what I said. He is a man with a beard <laughs> who sends you to heaven if you're cool. Yeah, or did I like get, getting, did we get, did we get too far into um, my faith tradition? Yeah. 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 It's, it's like VidCon. It's Wait, just, how uh, is it like VidCon? <laughs> well, you got to get that. You got to get that invite. Oh, it's like, yes, there's, there's multiple, just like VidCon, there's multiple kinds of badges. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you can go, go to different rooms with different badges. Right, right, right. And there's a, you get a plus one if you get in, too. So think about who you're going to give that to. Uh, this podcast is also brought to you by Vin Diesel's Net Worth. Vin Diesel's Net Worth. What a bad system that would be. I bet, I bet it's constantly fluctuating. Imagine if, like, you get to the gates of heaven and St. <laughs> Peter is like, ah, oh, great job, man. Um, we were, you know, we dinged you for all the LaCroix you drank. Uh, you really created a lot of unnecessary a lot of aluminum. single use. A lot of single use. But... Uh, you know, we molded over and, you know, your heart was in the right place and you do, you got that, you got that contamination OCD. So we kind of get it. Anyway, we decided to let you in. You get a plus one. Um, you want your wife or your daughter? <laughs> or your son? No, he's getting in. I'm not worried about him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two <laughs> troublemakers there. Great. Yeah. Uh, today's podcast, of course, is also brought to you by... I don't remember anything that happened before put, this moment. Like I, I, I am living in the you. present. Huh? But I always put notes at the top for you. Uh, Hank, I'm living in the present in a way that nobody has ever lived in the present before. It's a <laughs> radical 
radical presence. Uh, today's podcast is also brought to you, of course, by um, the Mosquito Black Hole. The Mosquito Black Hole, it is uh, a pathway to a new universe that is composed entirely of former mosquitoes. <laughs> and this podcast is also brought to you by My Journey of Meaning. Oh, man. Uh, it's just looking out for that Mysterium Tremendum. Seeing where, I'll where tell it's you at. What, it, if you could have seen Hank 20 years ago, and then you see Hank almost acknowledging that he's experienced the Mysterium Tremendum, uh, I can't even tell you. It's it's the biggest turn. Nah, nah I, 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 was, I was all over the place, man. I've always been all over the place. I guess that's true. I've only... Um, I'm a religious person, but then when I like talk about my religious beliefs with religious people, a lot of them think that I'm um, a demon, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sent yeah. to, um, yeah, 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 you know, like like distract the people from mm-hmm. the really important stuff, which is sexual ethics and nation uh, nation, N- yeah, worshiping. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I've only fallen on my knees in prayer, like in like tearful prayer in my whole life twice. And once was at the world's largest wooden crucifix, which Mm. which is surprisingly large. Uh, And that one was completely out of nowhere. Uh, I'd never had a uh, a theistic thought in my life. Uh, And then I saw the world's largest wooden crucifix and just something came over me. So whoever designed that one did a good job. Yeah. And then uh, the other was on Thursday. <laughs> I thought you were going to say some like that. It's true. Uh, I, I did it once at summer camp. I, uh, I was looked up at the, uh, the, I was like under the stars. I didn't fall down in prayer, but I did sort of like, <laughs> and then once it happened with a donut. Yeah. Oh God, of course. Yeah. Some people say it's the Lord's greatest creation. <laughs> Tauruses are surprisingly co- common. And I mean, he made us so that we could make donuts. <laughs> <laughs> and we're kind of donuts. We, oh my God, Hank, we are donuts. Yeah. We're donuts with limbs. The, 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 we've also got a Project for Awesome message, John. It's from Alex, who, uh, for Kathleen. Alex says, surprise, while I've got the voice of John and or Hank, it's Hank, to be sappy on my behalf, I'm so grateful to have a brilliant, caring, and all-around wonderful person for a sister. You inspire me, and I love you. Don't forget, you are awesome, and I'm always in your corner. Thanks for being in mine. Okay, I've said too many nice things now. Next time, maybe I'll throw something at you when I see you next. Hopefully soon. Lovely. I'll make sure to throw something at John as well. It was lovely until the end. I like that. No, it like was. That. It was very sweet. Very sweet. Thank you for donating to the Project for Awesome. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, 
I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, There will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, and there is a lot of news from AFC Wimbledon, so we do have to devote some time to it. I apologize. Okay. We have a really important question from Jess, who writes, Dear John and Hank, people always say it's five o'clock somewhere to justify their drinking in the morning. Where is it five o'clock right now? Pumpkins and penguins, Jess. Well, it's only exactly five o'clock somewhere at certain times, Jess, but as it happens, Mm -hmm. that time is approaching. It is for us. Wow. It's 2.59 p.m. right now. So one minute from now, it will be five o'clock somewhere. But where, Hank, where will it be 5 p.m.? I'm concerned it will only be 5 p.m. in in non-human locations. Um, it is currently, and this is a little bit wild, John. Okay, I'm ready. Five o'clock nowhere. No. Yeah. So uh, in Montevideo, it's 4 p.m. Sao Paulo, Halifax, Rio de Janeiro, all, all 4 p.m. right now. Um, in in Accra, it's 7 p.m. Uh, and in St. John's, it's 4.30. 4.30, St. John's. Four, somebody really, want to, really wanted to make things uh, just troubling. But yeah, it, uh, according to this, this no, website no, anyway, no. You're way off. it's 5 You're o'clock way off. nowhere. There's a big You're way gap off. between 4 and 7. Like there's just okay. nobody there. No, no, you're you are mistaken respectfully. Okay. 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 I gotta hit the extended list. It is five o'clock. So we are in Oh so I got it's, it. I got so it. So it's where it's negative three, right? If it's if we're negative five, I'm in negative five. 
We got to look where it's negative three. It's currently, okay, so it's it's five o'clock in what I believe is the edge of Alaska. No. No? What are you talking about? That's what it says where are you on go- this website. Dude, bro. What? That would be 5 a.m. No, it says 5 p.m. Okay. It It's later in Europe. <laughs> no. It's later in Europe than it is in America this right is now. Greenland. That's Greenland. The other That's edge. The other Greenland. side. It's Greenland. Were you, think, were you looking at, at Greenland and thinking it was Alaska? No, I was looking at the names of the towns, which are all, they all look like they're Inuit to me. Wildly, clearly, there, it is five o'clock right now, 5 p.m., for uh-huh. less than 10,000 people, but it is five o'clock for oh, wow. some people because actually the most like populated parts of Greenland, it's six o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pretty but, narrow slice that it for it's five o'clock somewhere. But there but, is a tiny, tiny slice of, of, of sort of inland Greenland and yeah. southern Greenland where it mm. is currently five o'clock. And then there is also... Oh, no, it's 7 o'clock there. Oh, no, this is a catastrophe. I'm telling you, John, it's not 5 o'clock for many places. Well, they've just made a weird choice. That's well, on them, really. That's a very, that's oh, a very it's time five zone o'clock, thing. It's 5 o'clock in a bunch of Greenland. All of... E- most of Western Greenland, it's 5 o'clock. Most of Western Greenland. Yeah. Even like far west Greenland, like Quanah. Oh, they got a, they got a really weird situation there in Greenland. Where they've o'clock. got they got a couple extra time zones for no good reason. Yeah, and it's seven o'clock in in uh, far e- eastern Greenland, which is not the decision I would have made. But again, that's for the Gre- Greenland people to figure out. But in a bunch of in Nook in southern Greenland, mm-hmm. five o'clock. It's five o three now because it took us so long to figure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we we really almost did it, but then we didn't. No, we were so confident, and then we then we thought it was five o'clock nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, is there an hour? I mean, I actually I think of all the hours. This is the hours. This is the hour where it is five o'clock in the for the fewest people right now. I think we we may have gotten gotten the the one. Man, I gotta tell you, you look at the the, the time zones of the world map, and you do think. They're not trying very hard to make this make sense. No, no, there's not a there's not a real meaningful commitment. Indianapolis no. is a great example of this. Indianapolis is longitudinally identical to Birmingham, Alabama, and yeah. Birmingham is in the Central Time Zone, and Indianapolis is in the Eastern Time Zone. Well, I mean, the 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 best part is the the place in China where you go across a border and and, and you lose eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all part of it. I mean, you know, uh, that's my biggest criticism of the Chinese government, Hank. I don't know about you, but I think other than that, they're doing everything right. Hank. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad we got to do this together and learn that we're currently experiencing one of the lowest volumes, five o'clock anywhere that you can possibly experience. But I need yeah. to get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Okay. AFC Wimbledon continued their astonishing, astonishing losing streak, losing today on the last day of the season to Grimsby Town. Uh, A great summary of how it went for us, Grimsby. Uh, We did not win any, I don't think, of our last 15 games. We finished only a few points clear of relegation. Uh, 
and that relegation is not the 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 funny it's no big deal one but like the catastrophic one where you're no longer a professional football team and you have to go down to uh, mm-hmm. the national league and there's yeah. only two promotion spots and it's hell on earth the thing that that Wrexham just suffered through so um not a good season i think it's safe to say like getting relegated um, for finishing 21st in League One and then finishing 21st in League Two is not a good season. Hard stop. But, mm-hmm. but... You're staying up. We're staying up and there was one highlight, one highlight to our season, aside from Ali Alhamidi emerging as probably the greatest striker in the history of football. There was one glorious day in our season. Now, not every Wimbledon fan will agree with me. So I'll just tell you that it was a glorious day in my season. You know what that was, Hank? It was yesterday. It was yesterday morning. Had a bit of a rough weekend. But then the the franchise currently plying its trade in Milton Keynes, Hank, they they had to win a game. Oh, yeah. To stay in League One. Mm -hmm. They had to, all they had to do was win a game. And they were playing a team, Burton Albion, that had absolutely nothing to play for. Win, lose, or draw, nothing is going to change for Burton Albion. They're in Mm -hmm. 17th place, and they're going to be in 17th place. And I figured a totally unmotivated Burton Albion versus a franchise currently playing its trade in Milton Keynes that knows that a win secures another season in League One. It's not even going to be close, but my God, it was close. Burton Albion parked the bus, Hank. They defended 11 players behind the ball as if their lives depended on relegating (laughs) Milton Keynes. You would have thought that all... 11 of these players had been in the meetings with the English FA where the English FA said that the Wimbledon football club should move to Milton Keynes because a club in Wimbledon is not in the wider interest of football. That's what you would have thought. You would have thought that we raised these kids in our academy the way they were throwing themselves at the ball. And then with 30 seconds left in the game, Milton Keynes had a corner and there was the most glorious series of goal line clearances. I mean, one guy like got hit in the face and then like didn't go down so that he could block another shot. It was incredible. It was beautiful. I will forever be a Burton Albion fan. I will never forget this extraordinary act of generosity sending Milton Keynes down to League Two, same league that we're in. We have to play them twice next season, which isn't fun, but it might be fun if we beat them. And I just, I, I, you, you can't want other people to suffer. Right. Like that's a that's a that's a poison pill in a human life. But after a season, okay, where we got relegated and we were supposed to be pretty good, and after a and after that season where we won only eleven out of forty-six games, where we ended with a goal difference of negative twelve, I needed a jolt of joy. And hearing the Milton Keynes fans yell at their owner, Pete Winkleman, proper Bond villain, the person who relocated the club from Wimbledon to Milton Keynes, hearing them yell at Pete Winkleman and tell him that he was an idiot, I was like, oh, finally, we agree on something. So yeah, you can't revel in other people's pain, except occasionally. Yeah. It, do, it does seem like you were doing that, and uh, it also seems like maybe that person shouldn't have done that thing. 
Uh, so that's really what it's about. Don't make the, that's right. Don't make the mistake. Don't make and... the mistake. You don't suffer the consequences. As um, as Alice says every day in her karate classes, uh, the sensei says, actions have. And then Alice says, consequences, ma'am. Wow, cute. Actions have consequences, <laughs> Pete Winkleman. What's the news from Mars? In the news from Mars, uh, <laughs> Fox. Fox? The television station announced that they're going to be sending celebrity in quotation marks, contestants to a I'm fake I'm a celebrity, Mars, get me off of Mars? To a fake Mars in a show oh, called Stars Mars. on Mars. Stars on Mars. They're going to participate Stars on Mars. in various competitions and they're going to vote each Mars. other off of fake Mars. Voting each other off of fake Mars. Stars on Mars. Stars on Mars. Um, people Give who are going to be on Mars include yes. Tallulah yes. Willis, Tahula daughter Wallace? of Bruce and Demi Moore. Oh, Tallulah Willis, yes. Um, Ronda Rousey, the professional Who? fighter. Yes, of course. Adam Rippon, the Olympic figure skater. Okay. Lance Armstrong, the bicyclist. No. no. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh-huh. Why? I don't know, John. He's literally the leading guy. He's like the, the most famous person on the list. Uh, William Yikes. Shatner will play the role of Mission Control. Uh, oh. Not clear what what why, why they've picked these people. There are some NFL Wait. players. Oh, okay, there there's, some, there's uh, it's not just the four of them. No, no, no. There's, no. there's some there's, former NFL a, players. Some, just there's, a bunch of people I've never heard of. I can't. I, I'll just tell you. I can't believe they didn't ask you. Um, you know, if they did, they probably didn't get me. I, I'm just saying, like, it speaks to me that something's fundamentally wrong with the show, that they didn't ask the world's most famous Mars enthusiast. Yeah. But I wish them all the luck in that really high-quality television show they're making. Yeah, so it's going to make doing the Mars, the news from Mars much easier because it's going to be the news from <laughs> Stars on Mars. <laughs> Stars on Mars is such a it, good it title. It premieres June 5th. Great. Um, probably on some streaming service that I don't have. Well, Hank, I look forward to Stars on Mars. Um, and I, I don't know that forward is the, the right word. I look in expectation <laughs> toward, yeah. toward Stars on Mars. And I'm very grateful to you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody uh, for listening. If you want to email us your questions, please do so at hankandjohn at gmail.com. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Brooke Shotwell. Our editorial assistant is Tapoki Trakravarti. The music you're hearing now at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.